0: I want to talk to you today about secrets of a successful life. I want to talk to you about it today. We're glad to have guests with us today. Tom Meckler and his precious wife are with us. Tom is from way up in the panhandle of Texas. Uh, He would call it the good part of Texas. I was raised out in West Texas, but what a joy to have the Mecklers with us today. And also we have some new people that have come to be with us today. So if you're sitting beside somebody that you don't recognize, you don't recognize they could be a guest today. So why don't you act like you really like people while you're sitting there beside them, all right? <laughs> Angels shredded the blue sky. It was an air show like none other. The famed Blue Angels of Pensacola, Florida, were at the featured event. The top of the top guns plied their sophisticated aircraft above the amazed crowd. Only the best pilots could be a part of this group Each was incredibly brilliant. They were talent. They had a lot of savvy and understanding. Each shared in the same honor, he was a part of the leading edge of our nation's defense. Yet above the crowd this day, the leading edge grew ragged. A serendipitous set of events unfolded that led to heroism and tragedy. One plane piloted by Captain John Ferrier developed engine trouble. At first, the crowd thought it was part of the performance. Soon they realized it wasn't. Puffs of smoke billowed from his jet. Through the, earphones, through the earphones that he had on, he heard his superior saying, John, eject, eject. But the canopy of the airplane remained intact over its cockpit. Again, the commanding officer radioed John. This time he pleaded, Bell out, John, bell out, bell out. He did not because he couldn't. He simply wouldn't. John could have saved his own life that day. It took a mere flick of a button. But something restrained him from in the uncertainty as to where his unmanned craft would land. He did not realize where it would land. It would crash perhaps into thousands of innocent bystanders below or into a nearby houses. And the potential loss of life kept him from bailing out. Finally, the last plea, bail out John, the commander shouted for the third time. The stress of the G-force was so great that all John could do was acknowledge that he hurt his superior by punching the control stick, which sent short puffs of smoke. This was language that the pilots understood. John was conscious and still in control. The plane, sheathed in flames, quickly lost altitude. All eyes watched as the plane made a sudden turn toward the only vacant place and piece of property in the area. There in a small meadow, John's plane crashed like some purposeful meteorite. It took tremendous courage for Johnny not to hit the eject button. It took a fortitude that only few could understand. Captain John Ferrier left behind a wife and some beautiful children. Yet when his widow came to collect his belongings, she found a small piece of paper tucked in the corner of his wallet that explained his actions that day. On this paper was printed John's priorities in life, the reason which caused him to give his own life that others might live. In a few minutes, I will share those words. But right now, I believe they form the secret of a successful life. The book of Matthew chapter 27 says it this way. He saved others, speaking of Jesus Christ himself, he cannot save. Say it with me. He saved others. Himself. himself. He cannot save. save. Years ago, there's a lady named Barbara Johnson who wrote a book entitled, Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? The title provokes thoughts almost ludicrous. Where does a mom go to resign? To the bathroom? Does she take two hour showers? Where does a mom go to resign? Does she go outside and mow the yard and keep the kids locked in the house? Since when does a mother resign? My question is this where does the Creator go to resign? Where does God go to resign? I mean, when he knows that the world he's created has perhaps gone wrong, when sin abounds in this world, when the highway of holiness merges into the broadway of badness, when the paradise of righteousness becomes the jungle of the judgmental, where does the creator go to resign? I'll tell you where he goes. The cross is where the lamb gives up. The cross, Calvary, is where the lamb gives up so that man can get up. Calvary is where Jesus makes a dying grasp for humanity. The cross is the greatest success story ever told. Anybody thankful for Calvary today? Would you mind clapping your hands and say amen to that? The greatest success story ever told. Earth was redeemed by one who lost, who lost to win it all. Golgotha is that skull-shaped hill located on a heavily traveled Jericho road. Romans hung their prisoners there so that the passersbyers could see them and be forewarned. You do wrong, this is your punishment. Yet hung between those two thieves, the Savior seemed anything but a success. The religious aristocracy mocked him. The travelers wagged their head and kissed at him. And some spit on him and others cursed him. The common sentiment was simple. He saved others. He himself, he cannot save. So they came and said, if you're the king, come down, press the button, eject, escape. Call your 12 legions of angels to shred the dark sky and come and save you. Yet 2000 years prior, we witnessed the captain of our salvation. What was found in the wallet of John Ferrier, the same, same situation. It was not written on paper for the captain of our salvation, but the Lord's was written in human flesh, against the backdrop of heaven. He just loved people enough to give. Jesus showed it all, the makings of a successful life. Before I go further, let me say this on the Lord's behalf. Let me preach a little bit here today if you don't mind. One of the best secrets of a successful life living, successful living is who you let define you. Who do you let define you? What do you let define your world? So often in living for God, The great struggle that we have is people that allow the enemy of our soul to define who we are in life when we are living for the one that came to save us. In our walk with God, there are two key influences. It's God, or good, and the enemy, which is evil. God and all of his helpers and Satan and all of his help. God is known as our advocate. Would you say advocate? The enemy is known as our accuser. Would you say accuser? God always sees us in the best light possible. He always sees us in the best light possible. He always sees us in the best light possible because he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Even even in the Old Testament when the Ark of the Covenant was established as where the presence of God would be and once a year the priest would slay a lamb and take the blood pass the laver of water and into the holy place and into the holy of holies And he would take that blood, hallelujah, and he would pour it on the mercy seat and pour it on four corners of the Holy of Holies. And it was then when he poured the blood, when he poured the blood, inside that ark was the law. And the law was too, it it was too rigid and we could never live up to it. Inside was Aaron's rod that budded. Inside of there, inside of there was the table or the the pot of manna that never melted. But the law was in there. And so the blood had to be applied to the law. The blood had to be applied to the law. And when the blood was applied, the glory of God came down. And the presence of God filled that house. And the priest came out and said, we have been released. God has forgiven our sins another year. Can I tell you something? Since Calvary, every time God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as the law looks at you. He doesn't look at you as an Old Testament looks at you. He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way he can judge you is through the blood of the Lamb of God. Somebody ought to get excited about that today. That's how he sees you. Amen. Amen, if you don't take time to take your issues and your problems to God, we will end up being unduly influenced by information that's not always beneficial to us. If you study the life of Abraham, you see this, you see facts. Everybody say facts. Abraham lied. Abraham struggled. Abraham took shortcuts and just made plain dumb decisions. However, if you read what God said of Abraham in Hebrews, he said he staggered not. At the promises of God. How could a God say. That Abraham staggered not. At the promises of God. Only one way. He saw him through mercy. He didn't see him through the law. And some of us today need to realize that on this Christmas month, the reason he was born, so that he could live and die for us and be buried for us and rise again for us. Somebody needs to celebrate Jesus Christ today. That needs to be our influence today. Say amen to that. Let God define you. Let God define you. Let only God define you because God sees you at your best. I'll never forget my dad told me one time, son, if you see a man that's got 95% good in him, remember he's got 5% bad. And I thought dad was being negative, but he turned it. He said, son, if you see somebody that has 95% bad in him, understand this, he's got 5% good in him. I want to tell everybody that walked in the building today, We're not preaching to the bad side of you. We're preaching to the good side of you today because this church is influenced by the Holy Ghost of Heaven. Amen. This church is influenced by the power and the Spirit of God and God is with us in our lives right now. Can you clap your hands to that and say amen? So so what is then the secret of a successful life? Is it never giving up? I, I use a question mark there. Is it never given up? Is that what it is? Great advice. You should never give up. Winston Churchill gave a famed speech at a college one day. His speech solely consisted of repeating these words three times Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And he sat down. Nine words. And he still talked about today. It was a very simple truth. Success is not cornered by the brilliant or the noble. It goes to those who simply refuse to give up. We love the story of the fable tortoise and the hare that had a race one day. And the hare took off laughing because he knew he could beat the tortoise. But he got bored with the race because he couldn't even see the tortoise after his first 20 hops. Because the tortoise just came slow. But the rabbit took a nap. He took time to eat. You read it all when you was a kid. And before he knew it, the tortoise was crossing the finish line. Because it's not how you start. It's how you keep going. It's how you keep plying your trade. It's how you keep moving forward. It's about that slow, steady pace. These are the arenas of endeavor. These are in the, those in the arena of the endeavor who try, fail, but try again are the ones that's going to succeed. There's some word for this. The Bible said in the Old Testament, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. It didn't say if I would fall. Oh, I feel like preaching a little bit now. It didn't say if I failed. It said when I fall, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back up. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Be thou faithful unto death, and you shall receive a crown of life. With patience and perseverance, the snail made its way onto the ark. It got saved just like the other animals got saved. Ten years ago, the oldest woman to ever climb Everest reached the summit. On that same day, the first married couple reached the summit of the same mountain. And on the same day, the only woman to climb both faces of Everest reached the peak for the second time. Crowded, you say? No. No. It's quite lonely at the top. It really is. Heights are reached by those who put one foot above the other. A lot of life is showing up and not giving up. A lot of life is showing up when you don't feel like showing up. And you don't feel like going on. And you don't feel like finishing. And you don't feel like doing what you need to do. I will tell you this. A pugilist pastor told me one time, you don't have to win every round to win the fight. Some days you're going to get defeated. Some rounds you're going to go down. But if you have the heart to get back up, the heart to get back up. Somebody asked Rocky Marciano, said, how did you retain a 49-0 record? He said, because when I got hit so hard, I wanted to quit. Something inside said, you're bigger than the blow that ever came against you. And I just kept fighting. I'm here to tell you, one way, one way to have a successful life is never, never, never give up. You can't give up. But if perseverance was the secret of successful life, then why are so many determined people miserable? Because joy eludes them like some proverbial bird of paradise. They have ratcheted their way to the top of a corporate structure. Their resumes read like a roadmap to the riches, yet their achievements lead many times to bereavements. They die lonely, they die miserable. There is more to life than just a stick-to-itiveness. There's more than just never giving up to life. So let me ask you another question. Is the secret to never settle for second best? Is the secret of a successful life to never settle for second best? Some say that. I heard about a professor, and I've told this at funerals before, and I heard about a professor who stood before his class one day, his senior organism biology students was about to hand out their final exam. And just before he did, he stopped and He said this. He said, I want to say this has been a pleasure teaching you this semester. He was known as one of the hardest professors in the whole college. And one could almost hear a class sigh. Yeah, right. We, we love you too, prof. But he continued, I know you've worked hard. And many of you are off to medical school this summer. And, and your grade point average, sir, if, if, if your grade point average survives this final exam, you'll do good. And the class grew very quiet and attentive and they sensed something unusual was transpiring and they they strained to hear the professor's next words. He said, so that no one gets their GPA messed up to the bad. Anyone who would like to opt out of this final exam will receive a B for the course right now. If you want to leave, just go. And the class rejoiced. Some of them jumped up and started dancing up and down, took a deep breath and most of them filed out of the room and there were thank yous, thank you, professor, thank you. Some kissed his hand. Only a handful of students remained at their desk looking ill at ease. And the instructor looked over a few students and asked, anyone else, this is your last chance. You can leave now. You can go. One more teetering student was pushed over the edge and he too joined the B-pack outside. The instructor then closed the door behind the last student leaving and calmly took attendance of the remaining students. There was five left. Then he looked up and said with a twinkle in his eye, I'm glad to see you believe in yourself. Those who left got to be, you who stayed get an A. Let me tell you again on this December 7th, never settle for second best. Never settle for second best. Good is the enemy of best. The primary is easily seduced by the secondary many times. Good lessons. Too many people opt for the path of least resistance. They will go with the flow and drift through life. They go along to get along. They have a backbone many times of a jellyfish and the courage of an earthworm. They just don't have what it takes to stand up and say, No, no, I'm not going to settle for second. I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm going to be the best dad I can be. I'm going to be the best mom I can be. I'm going to have the best marriage I can have. I'm going to do the best things I can do for my children. We're not going to be a second class rate citizens. We're going to be first rate. We're going to be the best we can be. Everybody needs that attitude in America in 2014. Boy, I'm preaching right now. I'm enjoying me. I'm enjoying me right now. I'm helping me. Get them, tiger. Get them. (laughs) However, let me say that there are those who give themselves wholly to a cause only to find their cause was flawed. They lean their ladders against the wrong building. They lean them against the towers of Babel. Confusion. They never are completed and filled with confusion. They climb the wrong beanstalk They have to change their name from Jack to something else. They never find the goose that laid the golden egg. You know why? I'm going to give you two reasons. Because success is more than just persistence. It is more than just reaching for the best. And here I'm going to preach to you now. The secret of a successful life is found at Calvary. At Calvary, Jesus hung between two thieves. They were guilty. He wasn't. They had a choice. They had no choice. He did. He chose Calvary as the only hope for their guilt. With one hand, he reached for one thief, and with the other hand, he reached for the other thief. And the religious police almost got it right. In fact, they were only one word away from the truth. They said, he saved others. Himself, he cannot save change that one word, he saved others, himself he would not save. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He died in our stead. There's a legendary story that I need to tell you that I don't know if I've ever shared in this pulpit, the legend story, the legendary story of the apostle Thomas. We all know if you read history that Thomas wound up in India, but when the apostles drew lots, his, his fell on India and he refused to go. He said, I don't want to go to India. This was Thomas's saying this. I don't want to go. So the other apostles, not just the 11, but the other apostles captured him. The ones that had made apostles captured him and sold him into, to a slave, to a man who had came to Jerusalem to, in search for carpenters. And he was assigned to build a new castle for the king of India, legend says. Thomas, the apostles, assured the man would be just the man to oversee the construction of that castle. And once in India, Thomas gave away the money for the castle to the poor. He didn't spend it on a castle, assuring the king that the palace was in progress. Finally, the king asked Thomas if his palace was finished and Thomas replied, yes. And the king asked to see it. He said, not now, sir. You can't see it now. Only when you depart this life can you see what I've built for you. I have built you a palace in heaven by giving your money away to others. Thomas survived the king's wrath and later legend says the king became a Christian and perhaps he saw that palace that you and I are looking for someday. See, success is not measured in this life, but it's measured in the life to come. And so many people have forgotten the fact that this is not about just your success in life, It's about your success at a place called Calvary. It's about a place called Calvary. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where true success is in your life. I wish I wasn't so passionate about this, but I am. I am. This is what God's called me to do. Others, others, others. William Booth built the whole Salvation Army theory on that one word, others. God loved And so God gave. Two thieves hung on a cross for the crime of taking. One savior hung on the cross for the cause of giving. God loved. So God gave. God loved. So God gave. The law of the Gentiles is this. Man loves, so man takes. That's the law that we live under in our world today. In Deadwood, South Dakota, fans of the American Wild West find an interesting museum filled with artifacts from the great gold rush of the Black Hills. And an inscription reads there of the beleaguered, doomed prospector. It said simply this I lost my gun, I lost my horse, I'm out of food, and the Indians are after me. But I have all the gold that I can carry. That's flesh the one with the most toys wins. But the Lord showed us a better way, not about pleasing ourselves, but about serving others. This Christmas, I know this is a tough message to preach to people who are successful, but this Christmas, do you think we could just kind of ease back from ourselves and maybe put some more preeminence on the God of our life? This Christmas, wouldn't it be neat to sit around the tree and before you open your gifts this Christmas, wouldn't it be a neat thing to have everybody gather around and just bless one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God bless our family. God bless our family. Wouldn't it be neat for a dad to stand up and say, kids, the only reason we are blessed today is not because I'm so passionate about life and not because I don't say that I've got to settle for nothing more than the best, but because God has helped us this year. Wouldn't it be neat to put our hands in the hands of the Lord, really the one the only one that can save us to another life? Wouldn't it be a great Christmas to have that kind of Christmas and to say, God, I love you this Christmas. And I promise you, it would cause you your gift opening to be so successful because when God is put first everything else is so wonderful in life. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. Rejoice to that right now. I read a story about a boy who went to college. He carried gifts from his parents who hoped he would not sacrifice his walk with God for popularity. So the gift hung above his desk in his dorm. And it was framed piece of parchment upon which were penned the words I am third. I am third. Everyone wanted to know. He said when I graduate I'll tell you. At graduation he stood up and he said when I left home Dad and mom wanted me to keep my values, my God values. And some things they didn't want me to sacrifice. They wanted me to keep God first. They wanted me to put others second. And they wanted me to put myself third. For four years, he was one of the most popular boys in college. He was voted into everything because I think he understood what his priorities were in life. God is first. Others are second. I am third. And oh, by the way, Captain John Ferrier, I told you, I'd tell you when his widow rummaged through his locker looking for his personal effects, she opened his wallet. And a tiny piece of paper fell out. And printed on the paper were three phrases God first, other second, myself third. The genius who is selfish is foolish. The talented person who is thoughtless is to be pitied. And the wealthy person who is callous to the needs of others is really a pauper. But the one who goes first is the one who is concerned about those that are coming last. The one who leads is always preparing for the ones who follow. And at the head of this thing is one who always put others first. This is the secret Of a successful life. It's God first. It's others second. Me third. And you know what? I was a little fearful about preaching this message today to this congregation. But then the Holy Spirit reminded me that I don't pastor a normal congregation. I pastor people that really understand the concept of what it's all about. And so can I just just say something very grateful to this congregation. Four times this year, we were privileged to feed the homeless and hungry of our city. I want to say thank you, Lord, for giving us the means and the finance to do that at Christian Life Church. I want to thank you for that. Every Friday, we have a food bank here, and we feed 35 to 40 families every week. We run out of food. We have to put money back in our food pantry. But it's all about others. If a church is going to be a leader of a city, it must have something to be concerned with with those that are falling behind us. The Bible says the Bible says that they left corners of the field in the Old Testament. They didn't cut down the whole harvest. They left some things for people who were just passing by, who would just come by and needed an ear of corn or needed some grain to make some bread. Don't harvest the corners of your field. I wanna thank God for a congregation today that hadn't harvested all the corners of our field. I wanna thank you because you have put God first in your life. You have put God first in your life and you put others second. And because of that, I believe that 2015 will be one of the greatest years that we've ever known because God loves people who pity people that are not where we are in our life. Would you clap your hands? Would you clap your hands? Hey, it's not about the here and now. It's about the hereafter. It's about over yonder that matters also so today, just for a little while, let me just walk through the congregation because next Sunday I get to hear kids preach to you. Yeah, I don't get to preach next Sunday. And the next Sunday will be my last Sunday to minister because on my birthday, there's a guest speaker coming. They've got something planned. They think I'm getting old or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to walk through the congregation today. I want to walk through the congregation. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not being so rigid about yourself that you had enough to give to a cause that's greater than yourself. Thank you. Thank you for being the kind of people that are bendable in the spirit and you're broken in the presence of God. Thank you for understanding that God is really our portion and nothing outside of Him if we don't have Him really matters in life. Thank you for just saying I love church, Pastor, because I know I need church in my life. I need the presence of God in my life. I need his guidance in my life. I need his help in my family. Thank you for that. Thank you thank you because you love the word of the Lord thank you because you love the presence of God thank you because you love the singing thank you because you love this house thank you because you love others to come to this house thank you because you've made God a priority in your life this year I'm not preaching to a cold church today I'm preaching to a very warm congregation today thank you people thank you for when the offering plate passes by you're not afraid to give something to a cause that's wonderful and awesome thank you for the that here's what I'm telling you. That's the secret to a successful life is putting God first in your life. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We had we had some men show up at Bible study, and I'm finishing, Randy, if you'll come. I'm finishing. We had some men show up at Bible study. We had a fabulous Bible study recently on the Model Man. I wish I had time just to come and hug all of you and kiss all of you on the head. I'd just like to kiss all of you on the head. It's like this right here. Watch this. Hallelujah. I ain't trying to get crazy. But we had some men come the last couple of weeks. Three of them to be exact. And when they came, they walked in and one of them said, you know who I am? I said, no, sir, I don't. You want to help me with that? He said, I am one of the people that your church came and fed the other day. Wouldn't it be neat? Back, let me back up. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, and I got some buddies with me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he brought him in. He said, Hey, this is the pastor of the church that blessed us on Thanksgiving. Yes. How you it. And I looked at him. I said, Okay, guys, listen, here's the catch. If you're going to eat, you're going to stay for study. Uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't have to be told that. They were so grateful somebody loved them enough one day when we get to the pearly gates and we're asked a few questions like who are you and we say well I'm Rex Johnson okay that's worth about a half a point who are you well I pastored a church in Austin, Texas for a great number of years. Well, that's about a half another half a point. Who are you? Well, we saw a bunch of people get baptized. We saw tons of people receive the Lord and we saw tons of people receive the Spirit and we saw tons of people, their life changed and turned around. Uh-huh. I'll give you five points for that. And then you'll catch it. Who are you? I'm a child of God saved by the grace of God. That's 100%. Because really successful living is all about the cross. It's all about the cross. And so today... We honor the Lord. We honor the Lord. Call upon the Lord while he's near. Call upon him. He's here. He's in this place right now. Would anybody like to just stand to your feet all over the building and just lift your hands and say, Lord, you're first in my life. Would you do that right now? You're first in my life. Come on. Come on, Lord. You're first in my life. You're first in my life. You're first, Lord. You're first in my life. Can you pray that prayer today? Lord, you're first. You're number one in my life. There's nobody like you, Lord. There's no one like you in all the earth. There's no one like you. There's nothing like you in all this earth. You're number one in my life. And I love you for that. And I thank you for that today. And I admire you who you are. Because see, it's really what's waiting on us that matters more than anything than what we have here. Everybody say, we're pilgrims. And we're strangers. Here. But we're looking for a city that hath a foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.